I want to preach about ain't no stopping us now. Ain't no stopping us now. Let me give us the, the setting and the context, the climate, the condition for Judges chapter 4. Uh, if you look in verse 1, it talks about after Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Ehud was the king of Israel. He was their leader. And he, he sought to try to do God's will and do things God's way. And he offered a refreshing leadership to the people of God. But now he was dead. And now people were doing what was right in their own eyes. But yet it was evil in the sight of the Lord. Ehud, whose name means peace. So when peace died, there was not the proper leadership in place for the people. And they began to do that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, whatever else evil is, evil is live spelled backwards. And that's what happens. Evil has a whole lot of people living life backwards. And that was what was going on in Judges chapter 4. It's almost, it's almost like a nation that does preemptive strikes that starts a war with another country on the mindset that one day this country might do something to us so we're going to attack them first. Y'all, that is backwards. It's, it's like a country that gives no bid contracts, that gives a country, multi, uh, that gives a company a billion dollar contract or multiple billions of dollars to do a job where no other company gets to bid on it, even though other companies are qualified and might even do it for less. Y'all, that is backwards. It is like spending 10 to $12 billion a month to build up another country while your country is on its way down. That's backwards. It's like having a multi-trillion dollar deficit so that we can get everything we want right now and make it so that our children and grandchildren will have to pay for it later. It's, it's trying to have this trickle-down effect where you give billions of dollars to millionaires in hopes that the wealth will trickle down to the poor. But what we discovered is that wealth doesn't trickle down, poverty rolls up. That's, that, that thing is backwards. It's, it's, it's when you give to the poor and you call that redistribution. But when you give to the wealthy, you call that patriotic. It's when giving to the poor, you're called a socialist. But when you give to the rich, it's called an economic stimulus package. That to give to the poor is called welfare. But to give to the rich is called an economic bailout. It's, it's doing things backwards. And so this was a nation that was doing things that were evil in the sight of God. As a result of that, in Judges chapter 4, verse 2, it says that the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, and Sisera had 900 iron chariots and 900 horses, and he had all of this military clout and power behind him. 
and God allowed Jabin and Sisera to oppress this nation. And the oppression that was taking place within this nation was not coming from enemy nations outside the country. It was coming from those in the country who were troubled because folk didn't look like them and didn't have the background they had and thus brought oppression in their life. So for 20 years, these people were being oppressed. And the word oppressed in verse 2, it literally means to press. It means to distress. It means to afflict. This word oppression means to crush. So here are people who were doing evil in the sight of God. Now they're being oppressed, suppressed, and depressed. They're being crushed. Crushed socially, crushed politically, crushed economically, crushed emotionally. They are going through this crushing period. But the end of verse 3 says, they cried on the Lord. So they finally figured out that the answer to our oppression, that the answer to this evil that's been going on in our country is for us to call on the name of the Lord. And when they called on the name of the Lord, in verse 4, it says that God gave them a prophetess named Deborah. And so this prophetess named Deborah, now for all of you who say you don't believe in women preachers and all that, you're going to have to ignore Judges 4 because here is a, a woman with the call of God on her life. She is literally a preacher. She's a prophetess. And this is the answer to their calling on the Lord. But this sister was so awesome. She was a woman of diversity. She was multi-talented and multi-gifted. She was not only a preacher with insight and revelation from God, but she was a judge. And God used her to judge the country. She had the wisdom to take the knowledge of God and help people to settle their issues. She wasn't just a judge, she was a songwriter. Judges chapter 5 is a song that was written by Barack and Deborah that thousands of years later, it is still being sung. Now, she's also a person with military skills because she's going to lead Barack in battle as he goes up against opposition. So here is a sister that's really got it together, and she is literally the person that Barack has sought for spiritual guidance over the last 20 years of his life. But not only is she a preacher, remember she's a judge. She is a preacher that was not afraid to judge a sinful country. She is a preacher that was not afraid to help a country to see when they are out of line in terms of the will of God. Y'all, preachers are prophets, not politicians. Preachers are not those who've been voted into office and now they got to say everything that is politically correct. Preachers are those with the anointing of God on their life that have to speak truth to power. And if somebody is right, they're right. But if somebody is wrong, they're wrong. And prophets cannot ignore racism. And prophets cannot ignore sexism. And prophets cannot ignore ageism. And prophets cannot ignore when their country is operating outside the will of God. So I love this preacher who decides I'm going to judge the country even when it is not politically correct. But watch where this preacher judges this nation. She goes up into Ephraim. She goes up into the hill country to judge. People would come to her in order to get her to settle issues. Now, in order to get their issues settled, 
Watch where she strategically placed herself in the hill country. So if they're going to get their issues settled, they're going to have to rise above where they are in order to get that issue dealt with. Because, y'all, you cannot be a low life and low down and think you're going to overcome the evil that all of us experience every day in our lives. We got to literally take it to another level. It also says she has strategically placed herself under a palm tree. She's offering judgment, but the judgment is being given under a palm tree. See, most of us don't like to be judged. We want people to ignore it when we're outside of God's will. She says, no, I'm not going to ignore it, but I will judge you under a palm tree. You're not saying amen because you don't understand how significant a palm tree is. Y'all, the Bible's not just throwing that in so you can know this preacher's landscaping, but this palm tree is an illustration that this preacher's trying to get to us while we're being judged. Because the first time I went to Miami to preach, it was right after a hurricane hit. So I get off the plane and I see uh, highway signs laying in the street. I see buildings that are destroyed and schools that are torn up, roofs that have been uh, torn off of houses because I got there right after a hurricane. So the, the, the driver is taking me from the airport to where I would stay in a hotel for the next three days. And I notice all of these palm trees that are bent over. And so I say something to the effect, it is terrible that this storm had destroyed all of these beautiful palm trees. And if you've ever been to Florida, palm trees are everywhere and they are beautiful. But all of these palm trees were bent over. I said, it's terrible they've been destroyed. My driver said, well, what do you mean? I said, these palm trees, it, it's horrific that they've been destroyed. He said, pastor, they haven't been destroyed. I said, but look at them, they're all bent over. He said, no, that's how palm trees operate. The wind will blow them over. He said, but when the sun comes out, when they are in the right relation with the rays of the sun, those palm trees will stand again because they have been bent and not broken because of the storm. And the sun will cause them to rise again and stand tall. Notice Deborah is judging under a palm tree to indicate no matter what storm you have gone through, it may have bent you but don't let it break you because when you're in right relationship with the sun not the S-U-N but the S-O-N when you're in right relationship with Jesus no matter what you've gone through I know somebody knows that God will have you stand tall all over again something else I learned about the palm tree I didn't learn it then I learned it later that when palm trees are planted their roots just keep going down until they get to a rock those roots just keep going and going till they find a rock. And once the roots find a rock, then they wrap itself all around the rock. So when the storms come, other trees are uprooted and tossed away. But a palm tree is able to stand right there because it's being sustained by a rock. And when you are a child of God and you are wrapped up and tied up in Jesus, when you are rooted and grounded in Jesus, it doesn't mean you don't go through a storm but it does mean when the storm is over you'll still be standing holding on to the rock of your salvation we understand the climate and the condition but I want you to see the call of Barak in this text because in verse 6 in Judges 6 remember 20 years of oppression suppression and depression people doing evil in the sight of the Lord it got so bad 
until this preacher said, uh, somebody go get Barak. I'm not making it up. It's in verse 6. The preacher said, uh, they summoned Barak. They sent for Barak. And notice, Barak never would have came on the scene had it not been 20 years of hell. Had it not been oppression, had it not been so many years of foolishness, Barak never would have been called for. It was the oppression that raised him to this position because this is the first mention of Barak in all the Bible. Y'all, there is no mention of Barak. He just shows up in Judges 4. I mean, he comes, I mean, he just, no introduction. No mention of previous experience. Nothing he's done in the past. He just shows up. No resume. No biographical sketch. If you Googled his name, it would just mention his father and what place he's from, Naphtali. Y'all, he just, matter of fact, the name Barak here means lightning. And you know about lightning. It seems to just come out of nowhere. It just strikes at any moment. You're not looking for it. It shows up. And once lightning strikes, whatever it strikes, it changes. Once lightning strikes, whatever it hits, whatever it was before that, it's a change in that situation. No MySpace page, no Facebook, just out of nowhere, like lightning, Barack shows up. And, and, and it seems like the only person that knew about Barack was his pastor. It, it was his pastor that said, somebody go get Barack. I mean, I'm sure in Naphtali, in, in Kadesh, I'm sure in his own community, they must have known him. Because one of the things his pastor, the first, one of the first things pastor him to do is go get 10,000 people. Because we up against great opposition. So go get 10,000 foot soldiers to help you in this battle. So evidently, his pastor knew that he had some organizational skills. So he goes to his own community, pulls out Barak, tells him to organize some folk from Naphtali, his own community, and Zebulun, the nearest, the nearing, the, the nearest community, and put that. It's almost like Barak was simply a community organizer, that only his community, not the nation, just his community knew what he was about and his pastor. Because he's a community. But y'all, don't sleep on community organizers. Because if you are for smaller government, you cannot downplay community organizers. Because the less the government does, the more the community has to do. And so if the government decides they're going to do less and less, the community has to do more and more. And we need some folk in the community to help organize, to come alongside people that wouldn't have anything had it not been for community organize. Don't sleep on community organize. Now, I know some people think they're not important, but they are important. You look at somebody in the book of Genesis like Nimrod. He grew to be a mighty warrior, but at first he was simply a community organizer. They organized a community to build this structure that never would have been built had it not been for him. Noah was simply a community organizer. Noah had a small community, but it was still a community. And he had a plan to help them to sail through a storm when other folk were sinking. And then, of course, Moses. Yeah, Moses didn't hold no political office. Moses was never voted into any official position. 
He was simply a community organizer that had to go back to the same community that he had been drawn out of to go back in there to help organize those people to bring them out of the oppression that they were facing. Y'all, uh, Jesus was a community organizer. You think Jesus held some political position? No. He simply gathered together about 12 men and then they gathered some others together and pulled some more together and he organized this community in order to set people free spiritually. Y'all, he was just a community organizer. That, that's all Frederick Douglass was. Frederick Douglass was a community organizer and, of course, the first black man to run for president of the United States. But he pulled together a community so that they could try to shut down slavery in this country. That's all Isabel Bomfrey was. Oh, y'all know her as Sojourner Truth. She was born Isabel Bomfrey, but she changed her name to Sojourner Truth because she would sojourn around the country telling the truth about slavery. She was simply a community organizer. Harriet Tubman was a community organizer who went back into slavery in the South to organize them to come through the Underground Railroad to go to freedom in the North. Y'all, Malcolm X was simply a community organizer that taught us you got to stop depending on other folk to do for you and you got to learn how to do for yourself by any means necessary. Marcus Garvey was a community organizer that understood the power of the vote and tried to get us to register to vote and to vote and was gunned down in his own yard in front of his family trying to empower us in our community. Martin Luther King Jr. was a community organizer that pulled us together to have civil disobedience so we could have civil rights and you have marched into your freedom because of a civil because of this community organizer named Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Don't you sleep on community organizer. And here was Barack showing up out of nowhere. He's got his call but once he got that call he got a challenge from God through his pastor and his pastor was the first one to sit down with Barack knowing what he was getting ready to do because didn't nobody else know Barack but for 20 years, he sat under this preacher. So this preacher said, uh, God's got something for you to do. And everybody's not going to be with it, but don't you worry about that. Because I'm going to be praying for you. And this preacher pulls Barack in. And the preacher first tells Barack, you got to go. That's the first thing the preacher told him uh, in verse 6 is go. Because it's not enough to come and get information and in inspiration and direction. But after you get that, you got to go. See, some of us, we like to come to church, but we don't like to go and do anything in the community. We like to come and hear preaching and come and hear teaching, but we don't like to go and implement it out in our society. We get caught up in these four walls, and somehow we think if we can just come into these four walls, I've done everything I need to do. No, if you got an anointing and a calling on your life, and everybody has some kind of calling, it may not be to preach, but you got a calling in your life, and it's not just to come to church and sit and shout and sing, but when we get through getting inspired in here, we got to go do something out there. Okay, you're not saying amen. But we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Christians because we're supposed to be like Christ. And if we're going to be like Jesus, Freddie Haynes said Jesus did much of what he did outdoors, even though we spent a whole lot of our time doing stuff indoors. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to get outdoors. Now, y'all do know Jesus did a lot of stuff outdoors. 
when Jesus was born, he was not born in the maternity ward of, Ju of, of Jerusalem uh, Hospital. But, y'all, he was not in some handcrafted crib. Y'all, he was born in a manger, in a stable. Y'all, stable is outdoors. And when Jesus got baptized, he didn't get baptized in a marble pool in a church. Y'all, he got baptized in the Jordan River. The Jordan River is outdoors. And when Jesus fed the multitude with two fish and five cheap rolls, he didn't do that at Jerusalem Hilton Hotel in the banquet hall. He did that on a hillside, and the hillside was outdoors. And even when Jesus prayed, Father, I would, this cup would pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He didn't pray at the altar in some cathedral. But y'all, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane is outdoors. And when Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, he did not die at an altar between two golden candlesticks. He died on a cross on Calvary between two thieves. And y'all, Calvary is outdoors. Then those men took Jesus off the cross. And once men got their hands on him, they did diametrically opposite of what Jesus wanted to do. And they put him inside a borrowed tomb. But three days later, Jesus said, this ain't what I'm all about. And he stepped out on resurrection ground because resurrection ground is outdoors. And some glad morning, Jesus is coming back for his church. And the dead in Christ are going to be caught up together to meet him in the sky. And the last time I checked, the sky is outdoors. Y'all, you come to church, get your inspiration and your direction, then you got to go and help folk that need Jesus in their life. Do I have a witness in here? Wait a minute. His pastor didn't tell him, just go. Next thing his pastor tells him uh, in, in verse 6 is you need to get 10,000 men and go up on Mount Tate. He said, listen, God's got something for you, but you can't go by yourself. I know you got to call him, but you're going to need some company. Y'all don't ever think you so anointed that you don't need anybody else. That's most of our issue right there. We got too many long rangers in the kingdom of God. Too many rebels, too many people that think I don't need anybody. It's just me and Jesus. So we come to church late, leave early, and don't speak to not one person. And then boast and brag to our friends. Now, I don't talk to none of them down there. When did we become them down there? I thought we were brothers and sisters in the faith. You're going to need somebody. And some folk are so holy, they don't go to church at all. I don't need the church. Why would Jesus establish the church if you didn't need the church you done got so holy you don't need anybody else baby you are a member of the body of Christ you are not the body of Christ you are a member and the body has to work together the members of that but y'all you gonna need somebody else I don't care how holy you are I don't care how righteous you are I don't care how filled you are I don't care what your calling is you need somebody, if for nothing else, to hold you accountable to what you're supposed to be doing. And y'all, doesn't iron sharpen iron? We need, we don't need any lone rangers in the kingdom. We need some people who will pull together to help accomplish the will of God in the life of his people. Talking about you a lone ranger. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Didn't the lone ranger have Tonto? Didn't Batman have Robin? Didn't Superman have Lois Lane? Didn't Spider-Man have Mary Jane? Didn't the Green Hornet have Kato? Now you got to go on back for that one. 
And didn't Michael Jordan have Scottie Pippins? And no matter how great you are, you're going to need somebody else. Barack, get you 10,000 people. And he went back to Nephtali. He went back to his own community. Because no matter what God has called you to, don't forget where you've come from. That's why I like Barack. Because the moment he started putting his team together, he went back to the folk that knew him when didn't nobody else know him. See, something wrong with us when we call ourselves having made it. Because we get a certain degree, make a certain amount of money, live in a certain neighborhood, and then forgot where we came from. But I like Barack because as he was on his way up, he was pulling some other folk up with him because he knew he couldn't do this by himself. And watch this. His pastor told him to go. His pastor told him, take somebody with you. And then in verse 8, watch what Judges 8, watch what Barack tells his pastor. He said, I don't mind going and I'll do this, but I'm not going without you. Watch what he tells his pastor. That I'll lead this battle. But if you don't go with me, then I'm not going. And I love that. Because what, what your enemy will try to do is to make you think you can make it without your pastor. Your enemy will try to make you think you can make it without your church. Try to make you discard the one that's been helping you for 20 years. That when you were trying to find direction and when you were trying to find hope, and when you were trying to find change in your own life and didn't know which way to go, your pastor and your community stepped in to help you find it. And now that you've been able to rise above that situation, your enemy will make you think you got to cut your pastor off and your church off for you to be successful. But I love this because Barack said, I'm going to go, but the only way I'm going is if I take my pastor with me. And even if this preacher had not gone with him physically, there would be no way for Barack to have gone without his pastor. Because you can't sit under somebody for 20 years and receive their teaching, their doctrine, and their help, and then think you can go without them. See, I, I've been at this church, ironically, for 20 years. And for 20 years, we got some young people who've been in this ministry 18, 19, 20 years. So now they're getting ready to go off to college. Now they got to make a, a they got to relocate to get promotions and their career moves and all of that. But here's what I want those young folk to understand. If you've been in this ministry 20 years, you've been showing up every Sunday, every week for 20 years. You can't go without your pastor. I'll be going with you. Because there's no way you can sit under my teaching for 20 years and not take me with you. <laughs> there's no way you can sit under my preaching for 20 years and hear me talk about God's will in the life of his people and not to. So when you go to Spelman, I'm going with you. When, when you go to Morehouse, you got to take me with you. When you go to Howard, I'm going to Howard with you. When you go to Harvard and Yale, I'm going to be right there with you because you cannot go without your pastor. And y'all looking at me strangely because I thought when I went to college, I would be going without my mother. That's one of the reasons I chose Texas because Texas is a long way from Indiana. And I was trying to get away from my mother. I'd already lived with her for 18 years. And I said, that's long enough. I'm getting ready to go do my own thing. But when I got 861 miles away and I thought I had left mama back here, I could still hear mama in my head saying, boy, you know, we don't act like that. 
Now, Johnsons, I don't know about everybody else, but Johnsons don't do that. Boy, you need to bring your behind in this place at a decent hour because you can't stay out all night and still come. Yeah, did anybody take your family with you and take your teaching with you and take God's word? You cannot go, Barack said, without my pastor. I, 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 you you got to understand something. This is his pastor helping him to start this journey. And watch this conquest that Barak gets because his pastor tells him this. His pastor tells him in verse 14 to go because this day God has placed Sisera into your hand. Okay, remember Sisera is this military giant that has 900 chariots and 900 horses and, and leads this army of this Canaanite king. But watch what this preacher tells Barak. Uh, the Lord has placed this battle in your hand. The Lord has given you this victory. Y'all got to get this. Because no battle has been fought yet. No sword has even been pulled yet. Nobody's been cut down yet. It's been no conflict yet. But watch what God says. Uh, God has given you this victory. It's already in your hand. How can it already be in my hand and I've yet to fight any battle? Y'all, that's because God is able to, to speak in past tense about an event that is yet to take place. I love this. God is able to speak in past tense about a future event. God is able to give you the victory even before the battle starts. Uh, Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho marched around the walls seven times even before the march started God says I have given you this city he speaks past tense of an event to yet take place Moses I have heard the cries of my people and I have come down and delivered them but Moses just met God didn't even know God's name yet but God is speaking past tense about an event that is yet to take place uh, Jesus before the, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Y'all, even before you were born, God already knew before he made this world that you and I were going to jack this situation up. So what God did, he went on and gave us our victory even before he created us. I'm preaching and y'all ain't getting it. So the lamb was slain even before God created the world because he knew once we got in the world, we were going to mess it up. But the victory is already ours in the blood of Jesus because God has already declared in past time a victory that has yet a battle yet to fight that's why you ain't gotta wait till the battle's over you can go on and praise God now cause victory victory is mine y'all you already have the victory so those of you who, who are going to doing these job interviews and you worrying about the outcome don't you know the victory is already yours those of you who are trying to make decisions for life and is it going, y'all, we don't work for victory. We work from victory. We don't serve for victory. We serve because we already have the victory. We don't praise God to get the victory. We praise God because we already have the victory. It's already done. Now watch this. 
Here's my question. I got one question. I'm going to answer this question based on the Bible, and then we finish. Here it is. How did Barack get this victory? That's the question I want to ask. How could somebody with limited experience, somebody nobody knew about, coming out of nowhere like lightning, show up in the, on the scene and get the victory that he got? Let me show you how Barack got this victory right out of Judges chapter 4. Number one, he got the victory because he knew about the correlation between democracy and theocracy. He knew there was a relationship between democracy and theocracy. Y'all, democracy is, is the people's choice. Theocracy is God's choice. Uh, democracy is is the election of the people theocracy is the selection of god democracy is when the people decide theocracy is when god decides uh democracy is when the people place somebody but theocracy is when God places somebody. And Barack understood this relationship between democracy and theocracy because he understood if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, I would not have made it. And what somebody is thinking is, didn't people, didn't they pull Barack? Didn't they push Barack? Didn't they make Barack? No. The people simply agreed with what God had already done because God will use democracy to bring about his theocracy. Because God will spend 20 years letting us do what is outside of his sight, letting us do evil. He will spend 20 years letting folk go through oppression and letting folk go through pain because if it hurts enough, we don't care who he uses as long as God raises up somebody to help us out of this situation. It's God's choice. I wish we could learn that. Most of us are so busy waiting on somebody else to put us in a position. We waiting on somebody else to find us a place, not knowing that God is the divine personnel agent. And it is God that decides where we're going to be placed. So you can stop kissing your supervisors behind because they're not the one that makes the decision on your life. And if I were you, I would just trust in the theocracy of God that God is the one that places people. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen to this thing. Uh, when I first got to this church, ironically, 20 years ago, and, and when I got here, of course, we were smaller and in a smaller building and all of that. I had a group of people, about four or five people that busted into my office, no appointment, walked right by uh, Mary Barnett, the secretary, came right into my office, didn't knock, just came in, and then stood, oh, I'm at my desk, they standing over me with a finger in my face. Y'all, this happened 20 years ago, and said to me, we're the ones responsible for your being here. They, they were really trying to get me to put them in certain positions in the church. And you know, back then I was 25 and crazy. Some of y'all think I'm 46 and crazy now, but I, I just, you know, I didn't have any, in, you know, I just said what I thought. No political correctness. I had no tact 25 years ago. We're the reason we're responsible for your being. I said, excuse me? We're the ones responsible for your being the pastor of this church. I said, well, I appreciate you telling me because I was under the impression the Holy Spirit placed me here. See, when you know who places you, 
then you can depend on the one who placed you. You can be devoted to the one. And once you realize it is God that has placed you and it's God, that, is there anybody know it's God that's the one that provides for you? Barack understood the relationship between democracy and theocracy. Barack was able to win because Barack knew the connection between history and destiny. You want to know how Barack got the victory? Because he knew that there was a connection between history and destiny. Somebody has suggested a people who doesn't, that don't know their history is like a tree with no roots. That you, you, you cannot go down the way you need to go down in order to go up the way you need to go up. That if you want to know where you're going, you got to know where you come from. You got to have some sense of your history if you're ever going to walk into your destiny. See, Barack understood this because when you read Judges 4 and you hear names like Ehud and you hear uh, names uh, like Zebulun and Naphtali, and then it mentions Moses' name in here and Moses' father-in-law and his descendants, and you hear Mount Tabor. Y'all, these are people and places out of the history of this nation, and those people and places were so significant that there would have been no Barack had there not been this particular history because history teaches us that God is behind us. You don't have to worry about your past because God is behind us. That's what history is all about. We got to realize that stuff did not start happening when we came on the scene. Some people are so arrogant and so conceited because of what they drive and where they live and what kind of money they make and what position they hold and what company they own. And they think that anything start happening till they came on the scene. Baby, the only reason you've been able to walk into what you walked into is because of those that have come before us. And had they not come before us in our history, we wouldn't be able to appreciate our destiny. I told y'all Barack didn't show up on the scene till Judges chapter 4. But his name does reappear in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's in there with the hall of, hall of faith. With the big ballers and the shot callers of the faith. In Hebrews 11, the people of faith, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab. Y'all don't know this crew? He shows up with them. And, and the writer Hebrew says that they were whipped, they were beaten, they were persecuted. They faced the fire, they were thrown in prison. They went through so much and that many of them died never having obtained the promise. But even though they died before they got the promise, it was what they went through so that folk in Hebrews 12 could run the race that was set before them but folk couldn't run the race before them had it not been for a cloud of witnesses baby there was a time you could not walk into your favorite restaurant and sit down and order people around and get your food just because you had the money to eat there you had to go to the back door pay for your food and couldn't even eat it on those premises there was a time you couldn't go to that university you at now in order to get that degree even though you had the money the mind to learn what the, there was a time you couldn't live in that neighborhood you living in because of the color of your skin they would put you in a condensed area in the community but thank God there was some folk that went before us come on now that never walked into the promise but the sacrifice they made has made it possible for us to run the race with faith in Jesus Christ
You got to know your history in order to appreciate your destiny. And I love what, what Barack's pastor said to him. Watch what Barack's pastor said to him. The Lord has gone ahead of you. Don't, don't you sweat Sisera. Don't you sweat Jabin. Don't you sweat your opposition. Don't trip over 900 horses. Don't you, don't you falter because of 900 chariots. Why? Because the Lord has gone ahead of you. That, that's what your destiny is all about. Your history is a reminder God is behind you. God has got your back. But y'all, your destiny is a reminder that God has gone ahead of you. So whatever you got to face, it's going to be all right. Because the Lord has gone ahead. You got surgery in a, in a few weeks? Don't worry about that. God is already in next week. God, he, he's already. You up for a job interview next week? You can go on and go to sleep tonight, baby, because God is already there at the office on the interview. Because he goes at you trying to get your own company and trying to figure out who's going to finance you. Baby, just keep on trusting in God because he's already gone ahead of you. I love Kenneth Armour. Bishop Armour says that when you read Psalm 23, you'll know God has got your back, but he's also got your destiny. Because in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So folk that are trying to come head on to me and deal with me, I ain't got to worry about that. Why? Because the Lord is out in front of me. He's my shepherd. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I ain't got to worry about nothing. Why? Because he's got a rod on one side and a staff on the other. So folk that try to come in and get to me, I ain't sweating that. I got a rod on one side, staff on the other. But wait a minute, Pastor Johnson. What about folk that dig ditches for you? I ain't worrying about dig ditch diver, get diggers. Why? Because on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is safe. What if somebody tries to throw scud missiles over your head and come in? I ain't worrying about that all day, all night. Angels keep a watch over me. But what if somebody tries to come up and sneak up and stab you in the back? I ain't sweating that either. Surely, goodness and mercy are following me. The Lord is in front of me. He's my shepherd. Rod and staff on either side of me. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All day, all night, angel. Surely, good. Anybody know goodness and mercy has got your back? Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. How, how did Barack get this victory? One more and I'm finished. Barack got this victory because he chose victory over glory. Barack told his pastor, uh, I'm not going without you. And his pastor told him, it's in this text, pastor told him, um, okay, I'm going to go with you. But if I go, you're not going to get the, the honor you would have gotten. Y'all, it's right here in the text. Uh, I'm going to go with you in verse 9, but, but you're not, you're not going to get the glory you would have gotten because people are going to be tripping because you brought your pastor with you. And they're going to try to convince you you can do this without your pastor. So I'll come, but you won't get the honor and the glory. It's going to go to somebody else. Barack said, I'm not doing this for glory. I'm doing this for victory. And y'all, many of us never get to victory because we keep looking for glory. 
Some of us are not even involved in ministry and the work of God right now. Why? Because I can't see how I'm going to get some glory out of it. If I, We so busy trying to get our name called. We so busy trying to get out front. We so busy trying to get a spotlight on us. We never get the victory because we're not willing to give up the glory. I told God a long time ago, you can have the glory. Just give me the blessings because glory don't pay rent. Glory don't put the gas in the car. Glory don't pay tuition. You can keep all the glory. Just give me the blessings. I want the victory. Wait, wait, wait. I can't let y'all go because I told you how Barack got his victory, but I got to tell you how his opposition got defeated. I, I, can't let you, I can't let you go without helping you to understand how Barack's opposition got their defeat because remember, uh, his opposition was a military giant. I'm not making it up, y'all. It's in Judges 4. 900 chariots. Uh, 900 horses. Thousands of people he would lead. In by. He, he's, he, he has military clout. But let me say this too. Remember when Barack started this thing, his preacher told him to go up into Mount Tabor. And y'all, when you're in the mountains, horses and chariots can't maneuver in the mountains. So here's the deal. Uh, no matter what his opposition had, as long as he kept the fight high, he would get the victory. See, as long as you stop trying to be low down to get back at a low down person and you keep your fight high, they can't maneuver in high places. And so he gets the victory. The, the enemy army is destroyed. They're overcome. But his, his opponent leaves his horse and chariot and takes off running on foot. I read this part to you. Barak chases after him. And when Barak pursues him, his opponent, his, his, his opposition is just running and running. He's finally trying to find a way now. How can I overcome in this situation? He comes across a woman's tent named Jael. And, and he thinks he knows this woman. But he doesn't know her the way he thinks he knows her. So he goes into this this woman's tent, verse 17, 18, he goes into her tent and he, he says to this woman, listen, Barack is gaining on me. And I'm trying to figure out how to overcome Barack. And she said, you've come to the right woman. I'm going to help you to overcome. It's in here. It's in Judges 4. He gets in the tent. He tells this woman, I'm thirsty. Will you give me some water? She said, no, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to give you some milk. She gave him some milk. Said, sit down, calm down. Go on and lay down. She covered him up. He was getting some rest. He said, now listen, Barack is going to show up. I know he's coming to this area. I know he's going to show up here. When he comes, he asked this woman to lie to Barack for him. He's asking her to bring deception in so that he can overcome in the situation. Now he's gone to this woman to ask to be refreshed. She gives him some milk. She covers him up so Barack can't see what's going on here. Then he, he said, I'm going to write out for you what I want. You don't even have to make this up. I'm going to tell you what to say. Y'all y'all know I can't make none of this stuff up. I, it, it's right here. She says, don't worry about it. I'm going to lie the way you told me to lie. I'm going to deceive the way you told me to deceive. But here's what you got to understand. If sister girl will lie for you, 
she will also lie to you. So he rests, he's sleeping in the wrong woman's tent. And when he's fast asleep, trusting this is the woman that's gonna help him overcome, while he's sleeping, she goes and gets a peg and a hammer, puts that peg on his head and hammers that peg through his head. He died, he was defeated because he chose the wrong woman. At first, this woman refreshed him. At first, she covered him. At first, she tried to deceive with him. And the next thing you know, she takes a peg that's supposed to hold a tent up and used it to bring him down. And all of that stuff went to his head is why he got defeated. But thank God, Barack got the victory because Barack chose victory over glory. I really ain't finished. But I'm going to go on and close right here. Because they did sing a song in Judges 5. I'm not going to go through the song. When you get home, I want you to read Judges 5. Because after Barack got the victory, he started singing with his pastor. I'll, I'll let y'all go through that song. But I want to quote McFadden and Whitehead. Because I think we need to start singing ourselves. Because there have been so many things that's held us down. But now it looks like things are finally coming around. And I know we got a long, long way to go. And where we end up, I don't know. And I know you know somebody that has a negative vibe. And while you're trying to make it, they always push you aside. But they really don't have nowhere to go. Ask them where they're going. They don't know. But we're not going to let nothing hold us back. We're going to pull ourselves together. We're going to polish up our act. Because if you've ever been held down before, I know that you refuse to be held down anymore. So don't you let nothing, nothing stand in your way. I want y'all to listen, listen to every word I say. Every word I say ain't no stopping us now. Look at somebody and tell them, ain't no stopping us now. Tell somebody else, ain't no stopping us now. Go out of your way. Find somebody and tell them, ain't no Hey, 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 thank God for Barack.